0: encouragement Lee thank you for that encouragement about this lesson being practical that is um, that's very rewarding to hear that and I hope this is practical for all of you um, one of the things about the um, the the 12 steps and the way that uh, celebrate recovery and other uh, religious recovery programs have added these verses in in the in the practice of doing so they have, they have really zeroed in on the fact that God's Word is meant to be something that affects us in our daily behavior, the way we live our lives. And tonight's step is going to be step six. And I think that's uh, just incredibly true when you get to this part of that 12-step program. Remember that in the uh, early 20th century, The originators of uh, what was first the Oxford group, and then you've got Alcoholics Anonymous, which then spun out into a lot of different groups like Narcotics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Gambling Anonymous, just all sorts of different groups that were meant to apply this wisdom to overcoming uh, bad behaviors. Finally, uh, with its application in Celebrate Recovery and Overcomers Outreach and other recovery programs, the... That what was what was implicit in the early versions of this, that this is based on biblical principles. Now it's just become explicit. It's like this is it's as if they're saying this is God's word. It does make a practical difference in the way we live our life. And one of the joys that I'm getting from this study myself, and I hope this is coming through to you, is that it affirms that God's biblical wisdom is Not just knowledge that um, is is good to know in a church setting or to get through Bible class or to win Bible trivia. And that spirituality and discipleship is not just something that we do while waiting for our, our ticket to heaven. That this is about living life the way God intended now and into eternity and uh that's an exciting quest to be a part of and i want to encourage you to do that um in addition to the 12 steps one of the things that celebrate recovery came up with that's unique as far as i know is they have eight principles so you have the 12 steps you have the eight principles and the principles are based on the beatitudes one of the uh, more unique principles is principle seven which says reserve time And by the way, uh, like everything in Celebrate Recovery, the principles are based on an acrostic that spell the word recovery, so seven is that R right before Y, and the R stands for reserve, reserve daily time with God in Bible study and prayer, and in most presentations of this, it doesn't have a beatitude attached to it. I, I guess they, I don't know why, I guess they couldn't squeeze a beatitude into it, now, When we do it up here on Monday night, we just throw Psalm 46 in there. I figure, why not? It's God's word, which is, be still and know that I am God. And the purpose of the Bible study and prayer and that disciplined daily time is for no other reason than to develop a relationship with God. And I'm going to confess to you, it is an occupational hazard of ministry, that Bible study always seems to be uh, factory work. You know that it can become well, I've got to you know mine this scripture for uh, three easy points and a and a you know thirty minute lesson, twenty minutes if I'm really feeling generous and you know and then we're going to get something out of this and we're just going to create something and you can do that and ignore god's what God's Word can do in your own life so let me encourage you to take that and to take this and anything you could do God. Is going to make it clear in His Word uh, what this Word means to you. It is a living Word. So, uh, step five. I want to review just a bit. Step five was where we looked at it last week. the um, The action in step five is to admit to God, to admit to ourselves, and to admit to another person the exact nature of our wrongs. Uh, this is the confession of sin. It is also naming that to others, not simply for forgiveness or some sort of procedure that allows us to be forgiven, but which allows us to be healed. And that's based on James 5, which says, Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Forgiveness comes from God, healing comes in uh, exposing sin to the light of God's truth and the Spirit. And so in addition to uh, operating on that that first commandment that Jesus instructed us that was the greatest commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, there is the second commandment to love one another as ourselves. So this restores relationships. It's a natural progression then from five, which has to do with the admission of sin and the healing that comes about then to let that healing Go somewhere. You know, if you've ever suffered a long term illness or a long term recovery, when you regained your health, you didn't take it for granted, did you? I remember as a kid, you'd get sick. You'd be sick a couple of days. It was lousy. You'd get your health back. Off you were on your way. Even in my 20s and 30s, I experienced that. You know, it's like, oh, it's terrible being sick today. I don't want this. But When you face longer-term situations, or maybe even situations that do not go away, you learn that whatever health you have is a gift from God, and you learn, okay, I've got to do something with this. When we experience the spiritual healing that comes to us by naming sin and by letting God draw that out and forgive us, and then we find restored relationship with others, We've got to be ready then for what that spiritual health is going to translate to in our lives. Step six in the wording of the original uh, AA program is we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And I think that's an important statement. And I I want us to... uh, dwell on this for just a second. Many of us are often aware of our, our, our defects, and sometimes we even find it difficult to admit that to ourselves. And I'm not saying that everyone in the world needs to know your defects. I certainly don't want you to know about all my defects of character. I'm not hiding anything. I just don't think there's any good with us broadcasting that to everyone. Uh, Transparency is one thing. Uh, but there's some stuff that I want you to just work it out with a few others, and that's okay. And I believe that that's the way God made us. And there are levels of trust, there are levels of intimacy that we experience uh, that are going to be different. Even Jesus experienced that. There were the crowds that came to him, and he taught them. He, uh, uh, they followed him. He performed miracles. Then there were the 12 that he called and he had a closer relationship with them. And then there were the three, Peter, James, and John. They, they're the only ones that that were able to witness that transfigured glory, the divine within Jesus. So yeah, he he had his levels of intimacy with others. And I I think that's, that's natural to us. Here we've we've moved beyond those levels of intimacy. We've named this, but now that we have uh, accepted God's forgiveness, and by the way, that's an important part of this. And um, I think we've got to start accepting God's forgiveness. Um, let me let me let me encourage you in this way. I, I've often heard people they they um, they want to be humble. And so they don't ever want to presume that uh, they have God's full forgiveness. That's not humility, as I hope to show you tonight. That, in fact, is Satan working in us to get us to hold on to the defects and never let those go. And those defects and those mistakes become the thing that define us. When only God should define us. When you're ready to have God remove your defects of character, you are acknowledging that he is greater than the flaws that you know about yourself. You're acknowledging that is humility, because you are humbling yourself before a power that is not only greater than you, but a power that is greater than the sins and the mistakes that have been a part of your life. So the verse that's tied to this keeps us in James, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Um, This statement is one that that, that James mentions here in chapter 4, but it is not unique to James. Uh, It's seen over and over again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And we're going to uh, touch on that. Just to remind you that James may be one of our uh, earliest writings. Uh, it has to be written before 62. It could be written years before that. Um, some Paul's letters, uh, some of them are written in the 50s. But it's possible that, the le- that James's letter was written as early as the late 40s. Uh, it's entirely possible. But um, it's a letter that shares a lot in common with the Gospel of Matthew, and yet here's one of these. This this verse is going to be one of those examples where I want to show that James and Paul are not so different. Uh, some people try to make much of the idea that uh, James the apostle or James the Just uh, is um, different than Paul the Apostle in some way. That. Uh, you know, you got James over here, and he's rather conservative and kind of works-based, and Paul's much more open-minded and progressive and focusing on grace. That's, that's just fiction. Uh, I, don't, I don't see that being the case at all. In fact, I think that these two individuals have uh, a lot in common, even in their thought world. And I want to show you that because this, this concept of humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up, it shows up in Paul's letters. And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, James is sharing wisdom. Wisdom for the way we ought to live, for the way we ought to behave. That James is really interested in how we, uh, not just what we think and not just what we believe, but how we practice that and live it out. And, and, and anyone who thinks one thing but doubts and lives another way is double-minded, according to James. Uh, James says that righteous behavior and devotion to God go hand in hand. That what we say and what we do ought to be the same thing. And that ought to show up in the way that we care for others. It ought to show up in the way that we uh, live around others, in the way that we show respect for everyone, regardless of their class or their status or their wealth uh, or their background. And it also should lead us then to patience and perseverance because if we really do believe these things, then we know that we can trust in God. He doesn't say it's easy. He says when you go through various trials, you ought to just give thanks to God. Because God can do something through that. Uh, And it ties in, as we've already said, with the two commandments to love God and love your neighbor. James is focused on both of those. James mentions humility as early as chapter 3. He's uh, he's bringing up, and he mentions it by by first bringing up wisdom. Uh, Verse 5 of chapter 1, James says, if anyone... Uh, wants uh, wisdom then you know ask God loves to give wisdom Um, he says uh, in James 3 who is wise and understanding among you let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom James is saying a lot in that one sentence. Uh, here he's connecting the idea of believing and doing. That if you are wise and if you have understanding, then you're not, uh, you're not the ivory tower scholar. You're not the uh, uh, learned church person or the learned preacher or elder or whatever it is or Bible class teacher who seems to know a lot and understands a lot of history and has read a lot of commentaries. The wise and understanding person is the person who demonstrates this and puts this into practice in his or her life now one of the things i want you to know is that's going to show up in some different ways and i think this is why when god gives us the church it's very important uh, because some of you will have opportunity to show wisdom and understanding and good deeds god working in your life in different ways than i can That's going to be obvious Uh, with my sisters in Christ, they're going to be able to display that in different ways. Younger people, older people are going to be able to display that. But depending on the circumstances you've been through and what you've been through, how God demonstrates that life in you, that that wise, understanding, good life in you, may be different than the way it looks in me or the way it looks in uh, your friends or the way it looks in other family members. But it can all be attributed to the uh, the humility that comes from wisdom, the humility that comes from wisdom. You know, why why is humili- Why does humility come from wisdom? There is the old uh, Mark Twain saying uh, that he, uh, as he got older, he realized you know his father became much smarter. You know, and and the meaning behind that was not that his dad grew in intelligence, but he began to understand that his father's views were not so wrong. There is that wisdom that comes from years. Um, I remember, um, oh, one bit of church wisdom that I just loved. It's a good story. uh, I was, uh, I was sitting in a class one day in a church and for some reason i don't know why the class just went off the rails and they got into a debate about instrumental music you know and and that caused someone in the back to stand up you know that it's a bad sign when someone in the back stands up to address the teacher that's that's never good it's like all of a sudden you've got dueling banjos happening right there and when you know and this is a debate about instrumental music so uh the uh but anyway they start going after the fella sitting next to me just kind of shrugged and he said I know how this movie ends. And uh, he had been there. He knew that this debate in this class wasn't going to solve anything. Now regardless of his own views on that, and regardless of the biblical views on that, his point was, in this kind of situation, in this kind of setting, nothing good is going to come out of this conversation. It had just turned into a brawl. And I loved that wisdom because at first I was starting to get anxious and then I thought, I'm just going to follow this man's lead. And he had been a church leader for a long time. And that ability to be non-anxious and to trust in God, even when things get tense, that's not only wisdom, but that's humility. And you see, he didn't feel like he had to stand up and control the situation or steer the cart a different way or put a clamp on things. You know, He could just sit back and say, I'm just going to wait. It's all going to work out. Because he was trusting in God, not avoiding conflict. He was trusting in God. Um, you can change the situation. The same thing applies. Wisdom brings with it a certain humility because we, we, we know that the things that some people get excited about are not worth getting excited about. That humility that comes from wisdom is um, is the sort of humility that allows us to surrender to God and what he wants. That it's not the class teacher that gets the final say-so. It's not the church preacher that gets the final say-so. It's not any voting group that gets the final say-so. But it's God. And so when we all surrender to God, we, we have the wisdom that comes from that humble surrender to God and we begin to realize that the things that... He, he, God doesn't just answer our questions. He gives us better questions. Um, in James 4, 6, he is quoting... Uh, the the Old Testament, the Scriptures, in his discussion of wisdom, that uh, discussion of wisdom is coming from a lot of different Old Testament Scriptures. But the one that may be in mind there in James six, I tell you what, let's read James for just a second. I want to go to um, I want to go to James four and get the context for this. Um, This verse, which is going to be, which is specifically verse 10. Here he's talking about conflicts and disputes. And it might be religious. It might just be conflicts and disputes between people, the sort of favoritism that they're showing, the distinctions, the, uh, the injustices that are going on. He doesn't specify. Uh, you can pick some of it up from context. But I think this applies to all sorts of conflicts and disputes. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are a war within you? You want something, you do not have it, so you commit murder. You covet something, you cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your own pleasures adulterers do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us but he gives all the more grace therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble Uh, There's our verse. Now, where is he getting this verse? Well, it may be a few places, but Proverbs 3.34 is a good candidate. Um, Proverbs 3.34 is translated in a lot of uh, more recent translations as, Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. And again, depending on how we translate the Hebrew words from Proverbs The idea is that that those who are going to be proud and those who are going to be um, scornful or disrespectful, then God is going to scorn them. To those who uh, are humble, though, God actually lifts them up or gives them favor. Psalm 138, verse 6 is also a candidate. Uh, The idea, at least, if not the words, for though the Lord is high... He regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar, okay what you know a lot a of, lot of interesting language there, but the idea is that uh, God is exalted, God is above, and, and by the way, the spatial dimensions in this matter. you have what 's on high and you have what 's down low. you have this um, you have this celestial idea. Of being exalted, and remember, James's readers and the readers of the Psalms and the Proverbs lived in a world where royalty was better than us. We don't feel that way as Americans. I'm glad for it uh, because royals are not always very impressive, and if they are, I don't see why they should be. But they, uh, you, when you live in such a world. These, these royal people, these, these rulers, these sovereigns are much greater than you. We mentioned the uh, Israelites this morning, that they were made slaves. They were slaves to Pharaoh. Not because Pharaoh had privilege or he got elected to that position, but because Pharaoh was divine. He was a child of the gods. He had a special status. And that's what you have to have to have a, a, a monarchy. Uh, god's monarchy in Israel is unique. And it influences modern day monarchies today. But that's another story. That's another study. Um, Here you have God who is the highest among all. The the God most high as he's referred to in the Old Testament. Meaning that he is above everything else. So here the uh, psalmist is saying that um, though Yahweh is above all things. He pays attention to the lowly, to the lowest, to the ones who are seemingly insignificant. They're not beneath him. He regards them. He remembers them. And the ones who are proud, the ones who are haughty and arrogant, he looks at them as if he's looking at them from a distance. The psalmist is getting poetic about this, but he's saying that the, the most unlikely ones that you would think are the ones that God pays attention to, which is a biblical theme, running all the way from Abraham through the New Testament. When Paul, and here is another point where Paul is sympathetic with this. When when Paul talks to the Corinthians about all their great knowledge and all the things that they know, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 8. And he says that... um, that, that the, God has always chosen the things that are considered the least or the most insignificant or the, the overlooked in this world, and he uses those things for his purposes and to shame those of us who think that we're wise and significant and good. Uh, another candidate for this, this background verse may be Proverbs twenty nine twenty three. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And it's that reversal, that uh, the proud, you know, it's like pride goeth before a fall. One's pride is actually what will cause a downfall, a lowering. So when we try to lift ourselves up, we'll be lowered. But when we are lowly in spirit, then we will be honored. That's Proverbs 29, 23. Now, the the most familiar expression of this is found in Matthew uh, 23. And uh, here Jesus is speaking to the religious perfectionists. And I don't want to bust on the Pharisees too much because it's too easy. We do that. We need to have some some sympathy for the Pharisees because I think you see it in 23. When Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you. He's lamenting. My grandmother had an expression. Her expression was, oh, how pitiful. And that's what I think woe means. It's like, oh, how pitiful, you scribes and Pharisees. It's just like saying, it's a shame. It's just, it really is. It's a shame. It's a shame because they are trying so hard, but they've got it all mixed up. So, uh, here in the first uh, 12 verses, uh, the great physician is diagnosing the problems of the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, Like, uh, verse 6, they love to have the place of honor at banquets. This is Matthew 23, verse 6. They love to have the place of honor at banquets, the best seats in the synagogue. They want to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They want people to call them rabbi. Um, they're, they're, they're finding their affirmation in all the wrong places. But they think all of this comes from God. That's what's so tragic about it. And he sums it up in verse 12 by saying, all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And that, that's Proverbs 29. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. So there's the reversal That the ones who are looking for that exaltation, that lifting up, the honors, even religious honors, they're going to find that they will be humbled or lowered. But the ones who lower themselves, they will be lifted up. This is a lot of similarity with with James 4. Um, James, in chapter 4, is willing to talk about submission. And there are words here like humility and submission that I don't know of any culture that has ever found that totally acceptable. In some cultures, submission and humility is something for those who need to know their station and know their place in society. And you wouldn't dare ask anyone who belongs in a higher position to submit himself or humble himself uh... even today we have concerns that people are humiliated and no one should be humiliated that is that is a a bad thing uh... and uh... we have concerns about submission that uh... we we don't want to submit but we we kind of got this democratic american democratic idea that we're all partners and equals and yet here James is talking about submission, and I think that still comes at us with some difficulty. I'm going to admit, I don't like the idea of humiliating myself. It's like, really? I've got to humiliate myself? I've got to submit myself? Now, if you tell me, well, yes, but that's to God, oh, I can accept that because I know God is is better than me, and I know God is stronger than me, and I know God is my creator. That just makes sense to me. But there's more in mind here than just God. This is about us being like Jesus. The best expression of this idea, again, comes from Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus, in his obedience to God, humbles himself. He lowers himself. And he takes on the role of a servant. That's humiliating. That's humiliating even by the standards of the world. He humbles himself to the point of death. He's even willing to go to a cross. Why? Because he's ready and he's obedient to do what God wants. And then God exalts him. Don't ever believe the idea that Jesus has this all figured out and that the resurrection is sort of like a a David Copperfield magic trick. That really he's got a secret, you know, back there. Uh, it's kind of a little trap door out of the grave and that even though he's dying on the cross and even though he's going to go to the grave, he really has it figured out the whole time and he's going to escape. No. He has to surrender himself. He has to humble himself to the type of death that comes because of sin and because of the sinfulness and arrogance of humanity. And he trusts completely in God that God will raise him. From the dead. He is putting his complete trust and his vindication even in God. Because to die on a cross was not only painful, it was, it was shameful. It not only destroyed your body, it destroyed your name, your reputation. It, uh, it branded you as a criminal and, and affirmed the strength of Rome and the power of the gods and the power of the state. And God overcomes even death. That's how he exalts him and literally lifts him up even. Um, Here, James is talking to us about the fight. And we go back to James uh, 4. And he says um, that um, after God, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. We pick up in verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Turn yourself over. You surrender yourself to God, which is a lot like the step six phrase, we are completely ready. If you're going to be completely ready, that means you're turning everything over to God. How can God change us? How can God renew us if we reserve a little bit that says, now God, I'm I'm totally happy with you changing my uh, my income, changing my health, changing these other things, but I still want to eat a tub of ice cream every night, and I still want to engage in those uh, sinful pleasures that, you know, I mean, come on, you know, everybody's got to have a few vices, right? But God, you change everything else and make my life complete, now you've got to be able to turn it all over. Readiness, submission, and here's the fight. Now, notice that the devil doesn't get to win. We've often made the devil out to be, I'm not, I'm not downplaying the devil. He is is a uh, distressing foe. He's someone that we we ought to have some respect for, at least an alarming respect, but he doesn't have anything on God. And, And Scripture has said that if we resist him, he will flee. But we've got to put up a resistance. And the only way we can put up a good resistance is to give a complete surrender to God. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. And in the presence of God... The devil runs. Um, James continues in this uh, call for submission with um, repentance. Changing. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. This is not hellfire and brimstone preaching that's meant to cause people to sweat. This is an appeal. This is a call. Come get clean get purified if if somebody was rescuing a group of people who were suffering from a disease and they had a cure would they sit there and make them feel bad before they gave them the cure no they'd be saying listen you need to come and get a dose of this medicine it's gonna it's gonna heal you it's gonna make you better here's James saying wash your hands purify your hearts grieve mourn wail change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom That's the signs of repentance. That's the idea of of actually acknowledging and surrendering to God. Uh, So he calls us to that, but we've got to be ready. Um, And then he makes his statement in verse 10. You've got to change. You've got to humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James 4.10. In Greek... That's five words, just five simple words. And the commands and the action words are simple. Humble yourself. And this word means uh, that we grovel, we humiliate ourselves, which again can be hard for us to hear. But here's the idea of lowering ourselves. Uh, some cultures do this. You, you show respect to those, to others, and depending on how low you, you, you bow or how much uh, deference you need to show to somebody. You know, it's, um, um, it, it, it's all part of the cultural uh, understanding. Okay, and this is where this idea comes from. But this is not just physical. This is spiritual. We are willing to submit completely to God. And we are, we are willing to lower ourselves. And God lifts us up. He's the one that exalts us. So much of what you and I are wired to do in our culture is to find ways to exalt ourselves. Advertising gets to us. Be the envy of all your friends. Why do you want to do that? (laughs) You know, it's like, tell me something I'll enjoy, but why do I have to have everybody envious of me? They're just going to buy the same product that you're selling, and they're going to think I'm envious of them. And then we've all got one, whatever it is. Uh. We, we want to, you know, be proud of uh, who we are, what we've accomplished, and our achievements. And, and that's fine, you know, achievements are good. But that can't be the source of our identity, and it certainly can't be the source of our salvation. That only comes from being ready to have God change all of this. And, you know, and if you're trying to uh, get over a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up, something that you're trying to kick, something that you're trying to overcome, some some distressing defect that keeps telling you, This is who you are. This is what defines you. If everybody knows this about you, then everybody's going to reject you. You cannot get there. There's not enough good you can do to get there. You've got to be ready to let God take that so that he can say, give me that. You don't get to define yourself in that negative way anymore. I get to define you by my love. Um, That's how God lifts us up. And be careful when you find yourself doing that, that you're constantly you know, a little bit of humility is OK, you know We, we do that. Uh, nobody wants to be braggadocious and everything. We get that. But when you, when you are defined more by the sin that you are sorry for than the God who is going to change that sin and redeem you, then which is truly our master? Just, just think about that. James is saying here that we're not not proud or we're not humble when we hold on to sin. That, That actually might be a source of pride in a strange sort of a way. Surrender is viewed as weakness in our culture. But if we cannot surrender to God, then how can he actually change us? Part of this process of growing as a child of God and growing as a disciple is when we get to that point that we are truly ready to accept God at His Word just like Jesus does. And I'm telling you, this one is right there at the heart of the gospel. Jesus, the shame that Jesus is going to have to deal with is, is that He's going to ultimately trust that God will vindicate Him because everyone else is going to call Him. a a fraud, a sham. They're going to reject him. When Peter is rejecting Jesus, he's not just doing that to save his own hide. That's a side effect of it. But he really means it when he says, I don't know this man. Peter is disappointed because his expectations of Jesus were, this is going to be our divine freedom fighter. This is the guy who has the gifts of God and has the angels at his beck and call, and yes, he can restore mighty Israel. And when he gets rounded up by the Romans and he's going to go to the cross, Peter says, okay, now that's a big letdown. I don't know who this guy is. I don't get this. It doesn't work that way. But the ones who were willing to trust completely in God stuck by him. And they said, that, you know, and, and strangely enough, who were the ones that don't leave his side? the ones who in the eyes of the world were humble and looked down upon they knew what it meant to be there and so it was a shorter walk for them to let go and surrender to god and trust in along with jesus well there's your uh, there's your james 4:10 lesson and we we are going to come back to that cuz if there are 12 steps then 6 is kind of the hinge that That turns this all around. It is the turning point. Uh, Tonight, if uh, you need any encouragement, you can let us know. If you need to partake of the communion that's been prepared in room 100, I really appreciate your interest in this study. And um, if you want to explore what Celebrate Recovery is all about, we meet tomorrow at 6. Just let us know. But uh, Levi, let's get together, let's sing, and then we'll be dismissed in prayer. I guess we should all stand for this song. Yeah.